think I could have said it better myself. What does the government have to do with regulation and DeFi? Yeah. So I'm joined here by some great panelists. Uh, we have Rebecca Reddig, we have Kristen Smith, and we have Yuta Takanashi. Um, they're going to introduce themselves because they know better than me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Rebecca Reddig. I'm general counsel at the Ave Companies. We're a group of software development companies that build open source blockchain-based software for the Web3 world. Um, we built the Aave protocol, which is a large blue ship DeFi protocol um, that allows for liquidity provision. And we also just launched a decentralized social media protocol called the Lens Protocol. And uh, I'm also on the board of the DeFi Education Fund, which does think a lot about government's role in DeFi. And I'm also on the board of Silvergate Bank. Awesome. Um, my name is Kristen Smith. I'm the executive director of the Blockchain Association, which is a trade association based in Washington, D.C., mostly working on federal policy for the crypto space, including DeFi and in coordination with the DeFi Education Fund, uh, but also uh, do some work in Albany as well. So we are on the ground uh, doing education, doing lobbying and developing policy solutions that we can bring to the table uh, when issues arise. Hi, my name is Yuta Takanashi. I'm from JFSA, Japanese Financial Regulator, and I'm working for Director for International Digital Strategy and Policy at JFSA. I basically uh, overthink all the like international like discussion, uh, the JFSA's participation in the FSB, G20, G7, and other like international fora. And also, I'm a tentative steering committee member of Blockchain Governance Initiative Network. It is basically the forum for multi-stakeholder dialogue. And it's aiming at improving like regulation, technology, and businesses of the blockchain-based uh, finance and, and, uh, and project. Uh, so I'm very happy to be part of this discussion. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So you know, I want to start with a, a broad question, right? Is, is DeFi regulation an oxymoron? Or does regulating DeFi make it centralized? How do you regulate DeFi? Do you want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question. I don't think there um, are easy answers. I mean, I think it depends on, first of all, what you consider DeFi. Um, I think that uh, you know, there, is, um, there are a lot of actors in this space, some of which um, are actually more centralized, um, but then there are others that are just contributing to protocols that are incredibly decentralized. And so I think it's really important to look at whatever function is being done and examine what the risks are for those functions. So um, I think that you know, there, there will be regulation, uh, and there already is regulation, of certain actors in the crypto ecosystem and the DeFi ecosystem that are interacting based off of their role. Um, but that the underlying uh, software is just code, and, and that is something that uh, cannot be regulated. Yeah, I mean, my answer is, is the lawyer answer, which you gave, which is it depends on what you mean by DeFi. Um, I agree with Kristen uh, that regulation in some form is inevitable, but I think if you build out regulation and rules, procedures properly, uh, then you're going to make sure that you do not turn software developers into financial intermediaries, because then it does become centralized, right? But if you, you know, set standards through regulation or otherwise use um, more optionality in how different uh, regulatory goals are achieved, then I think you can regulate appropriately. The other question is, at what point do you regulate and who are you regulating, to Kristen's point? If you're regulating the software developer, 
developers, that's one thing, and it probably does take it into a centralized place. But if you are also regulating how the software uh, can function once it's deployed in a decentralized manner, you can probably have regulation in a way that still allows for true DeFi. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> so it, it is very important to think about regulatory goals. Like for the regulators, we need to, in, regardless of what technology used, we need to achieve financial stability, customer protection, and prevent crimes. It is very important for the society. So that is a goal. But uh, the question is whether the regulation or other means uh, to achieve these goals is a question right now. So if we use the natural language regulation, maybe it is difficult to, like, uh, sometimes difficult to, like, apply to programs. So in that case, I guess, yeah, as you mentioned, like, like Currently, there are the centralized parts, so maybe it could be a regulatory touch point, but in the future, who knows? So if the centralized parties or touch point is disappeared, then maybe it's a time to think about the different ways, like using technology or market mechanisms, or maybe the social norm. So this is, we, we need to be more exploratory rather than just focusing on regulation. That is a very important concept, I guess. Yeah. So as far as regulation goes, obviously, you know, we've learned from just watching the broader crypto markets that crypto regulation is a very slow moving process. And often what we see before we see a regulatory framework is regulation via enforcement. Is that something that you think that we're going to see in the DeFi space as well? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> um, but <laughs> probably, <laughs> I, you know, listen, I mean, I think, you know, the panel, uh, title of this panel today is DeFi regulation. What's the government's role? I think right now the government's role is to learn. Um, I, I think that we've done a tremendous amount of thinking if you look at dollar-backed stable coins or a lot of ongoing thinking about what could spot exchange look like in a centralized context. But you know, DeFi is so new and it's evolving so quickly. And what we don't want to do is something like you know, New York State did with the bit license where they were so quick to act that it ended up being so burdensome and a lot of people are driven out of New York. I think what we want to do is see how these things evolve. You know, there, there's, you know, consumer protection is always a concern. I think what's interesting to me about DeFi, or maybe not what's interesting, but what's just a fact, is that you have to be incredibly sophisticated to work in this space and to navigate in the DeFi world today. And, you know, it's one thing as the interfaces become easier and you have more and more consumers that are using these products. But right now, I think it's largely, and Rebecca may disagree, but I think it's largely in the research and development phase and that government should be watching, observing, identifying problems and challenges, and we should be having debates about those. I completely agree, actually, and I almost always say, especially when we're talking to policymakers and regulators, we're in an R&D phase, so, you know, you need to give and space. And we have gotten that from you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we need um, to understand. Yeah, welcome. we need to understand what is happening. <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, it's quite difficult because there's no data, no information available sometimes, so it's quite difficult for us to understand the risks associated yeah. with these activities. So we, we always say it's the same activity, same risks, same regulations, but at this moment it's quite difficult to understand the risks. So the yeah. understanding risks and the correct information, the data is a first step, I think. I think policymakers and regulators across the globe feel the same. And I will say, I've at least been very encouraged in the past six to nine months that people do really seem to be in an educating phase, um, really trying to learn. But to your point, um, they are taking these old legacy financial norms and imposing them into the system because it's so hard to understand 
there's not a counterparty, right? That your counterparty is software, and what does that actually mean, and how does it actually work, and you know, what are the implications for traditional policy goals? So, I mean, but what? A, just to go back to your original question, because <laughs> as a lawyer, I'm still remembering it. Um, look, we've seen some light enforcement, right? Especially against. Um, different actors who, uh, as uh, Commissioner Peirce put it, are decentralized in name only or DINOs. We may see more of that, but I think it's going to be very hard um, for actors who've really try who've tried to do well and who have taken decentralization in earnest uh, to, have a had to have strong enforcement against them. Hmm. One hopes, as Kristen said, I am hopeful that that will not be the case. It is hard though, right? Like how do you how do you decide who's a, a Dino versus somebody who just has I think Stephen Pally calls it like a kill switch, right? Somebody who's there to like stop when something bad happens. You know, if if I can put a name on somebody, can I, I can I pin the I issue on them? I don't know if the kill switch means it's decentralized and I think there's a huge spectrum of decentralization. Yeah. Uh, I mean I guess it depends on who holds the kill switch. I don't know if I would really call it that, but I'd, I'd call it more like the emergency key or sure. something like that. But if it's a, if you know you have a large community multi-sig who is supposed to act in an, in an emergency, they're not coordinated, they're unknown to each other, but they just have to act in the best interests of the ecosystem or the community, then I think you're in a decentralized world. If you have one person or a two per, three person multi-sig and you know them and they're well known and they're the original software developers, I don't know if that's the case. I think you really, the, the thing is, this is all facts and circumstances at the end of the day. Um, and so decentralization has a number of different components. Obviously having identified actors probably means it's not as decentralized, but it to go back to Kristen's point, it depends on what they're doing as well. Um, and it depends on how the ecosystem functions and all of those things. It's, this is really an it depends. And I think the biggest challenge we're gonna have as the government is defining its role and thinking about how to regulate DeFi is how to define decentralization. Um, you know, I think there are a number of different components to it. Technological is one, uh, and then community is another, right? Who's moving the ecosystem forward? Is it just the original software developers, or do you have a robust ecosystem? And then the last piece is governance. You know, who is making the decisions? How are they being made? You know, is it made by a few, you know, token holders, or is it made by a more dispersed community? How, what's the incentiviz incentivization? Who's holding the admin keys? So it's pretty multifaceted um, when you're thinking about decentralization and how that would fit into regulation overall. Yeah, so that's a very good point. So sometimes discussing within the regulatory committee, some people say it's kind of the self-claimed decentralization mm -hmm. that the reason why they are saying we are decentralized is just of the regulation. <laughs> so that is a kind of skeptical views among regulatory community. So, mm -hmm. but I think it's depending on the like definition and the, the why they are like aiming at the decentralization. So, yeah. So this kind of like skepticism and also like uh, self-claimed kind of explanation. So all of these like stories is commingled right now. So it's quite important to like, uh, like entangle all the like different components to understand what uh, it actually means. And it's, it's quite like essential part to think about regulation. Feels like a big ask for a government that's like still wrapping its head around crypto basics. <laughs> Do you have I, th I think that's where we come in, and I think certainly the blockchain association has been doing this for a really long time. They started talking to regulators about DeFi a long time ago, and 
Um, actually, we worked with the Blockchain Association even before I was in-house, when I was outside council, um, in terms of talking about and explaining DeFi to different regulators. Um, and then I think I really encourage everybody in the DeFi space to start engaging with policymakers to do the education, because to your point, it's a huge ask. They're not going to be able to do it not going to be able to do it correctly alone. <laughs> no, alone. Um, but I think if people who understand the software, who understand the technology, who understand the community aspects, they will be able to, to build something that makes sense from a principles and use-based and actor-based perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think the conversation is a really hard one to have. And we've, <laughs> we go back and we've been trying to have it for a while. Yeah. It's not a conversation every policymaker is in a position to to go deep on, right? Um, certainly, you know, policymakers within some of the executive branch and regulatory agencies, they have a lot more expertise and you can go a lot deeper. Members of Congress have quite, quite a spectrum of knowledge. And, and I think what's challenging about it is it's, it's not something that everyday people are using, like I was saying before, yet, right? And yet. so it requires the use of imagination uh, to kind of look forward into the future, which which is which could be challenging, but I think we're making progress. And I think if you just look at, you know, even congressional hearings, uh, you know, the number of mentions, of questions we now get about DeFi, it shows that the education is starting to pay off. People are interested. They're asking questions, and and they want to learn. And so I think that's a great place to be. Yeah, and to exactly your point, humans try to liken things to things that they know. And mm -hmm. so I get a lot of what I'm talking about. Because, well, isn't it like this and isn't it like that? And when you have to say, like, no, it's nothing like that, um, you get a lot of, well, I don't get it, you know. But I think we have to be patient. And I really, I beg all of you in the DeFi space, like, please figure out lobbyists, talk to the Blockchain Association, but, like, really figure out how you can get involved because the more of us who are out there talking about it, explaining it in a way that's really accessible, the better off we all are. Yeah, actually, I'm very hopeful that... Uh in the five years ago, I participated in the meetup in San Francisco, and when I introduced myself as a regulator, they said, oh, it's the enemy. <laughs> it's very difficult to like, deepen our conversation, but right now, there are lots of like, trade associations and talk, like, someone to talk each other. And also, we at the JFSA is like, participating in the Blockchain Governance Initiative Network. It's a kind of multi-stakeholder like, dialogue place. And uh, there are lots of people like from DeFi and uh, crypto asset to come in to talk with regulators. So it's it's very like good like direction to like understand each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it, it definitely sounds like we're in a, an education space, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. We're in a, a, a wait and see. But do you think that the the collapse of Terra will kind of spur a rush to regulate, or do we think that? Governments might just be willing to, to it, wait. It's certainly learn. alluded to, right? And um, even in Europe, they just changed Mika, or they are debating on changing the regulation there to try to include algo stable coins when they weren't before. So, I mean, we'll see, as Kristen said. Yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've been trying to think about, you know, kind of looking back and looking at the Terra case study and trying to figure out, you know, what, what public policies could have prevented it, should they have prevented it, what, what, what could be done? And there is an easy answer um, because there's a bunch of different issues at play there. I mean, I think the one thing that could potentially be helpful, and again, these are sort of early thoughts that we have as an association, but you know, the, the biggest harm there is that Tara was supposed to be a dollar and there was a lot of promises it would be a dollar. And 
you know, whether or not consumers that were purchasing it understood that actually there are these risks that it could depeg. You know, that's something that if there were a federal level spot market regulator that had disclosures to consumers who were buying these products about, you know, what the risks are in a way that is easily understood, you know, maybe that could have helped at least, um, you know, even though all that information was out there somewhere, at least it would provide a more uniform way to do that. That's kind of one thing we've been kicking around. But yeah, there's no easy answer. And, and with Terra as sort of a, you know, decentralized stablecoin project, it's very different than other decentralized stablecoins, right? So there's not, um, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, something that's over collateralized is, doesn't necessarily have the same treatment as something without collateral. So it, it, there's a lot of nuance, but I do think it spurred a lot of interest and asked, people are asking a lot of questions, but I don't see any immediate rush to do something. Um, but certainly I think, you know, from the legislative side, that we are going to be seeing, I and mean, we're already seeing a lot of bills that have been introduced. Um, there were, you know, several senators here earlier today talking about their efforts. Um, that is all working its way through the education of their colleagues right now, and I, I think that we will see um, some progress on that, not this year, but in 2023 and maybe into 2024. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I think the Terra Luna case is. It's kind of an alarming clock. Like uh, we basically at the regulatory committee focus more on the like payment type of stablecoins, so like Tesa or USDC. That could be a much more wider adoption. So we focus on these uh, guys uh, in in the past. But uh, Terra Luna case like highlight the kind of kind of the new risks uh, like associated with like algorithmic stablecoin or other type of stablecoins, and and it highlighted that they are kind of very interconnected each other in the crypto space. So I think it's quite important for us to like shed light on like different aspects of the stablecoin arrangement and issues. And also, I think uh, the very important aspect of Terra Luna case is that uh, like some of the stablecoins has like uh, like Tether, I guess. Uh, it's, it also depicted. Uh, like amid the like Terra Luna case, so and some other coins is not depict. So we need to understand what is the difference. So like the quality of backing asset or quality of disclosure, or maybe the redemption mechanisms. So even the backed asset uh, after stable backed stable coins, still there is a difference. So we need to highlight not just on the algorithm or like backed stable coins, but also within the backed stable coins there is a difference. So we need. It is very good. I, I, I shouldn't say good, but it's an opportunity for us to like deeper understanding of the different type of stablecoins. I do think it's important to distinguish between different type of stablecoins. And as with Tara, it goes back to what we started talking about: is what is real decentralization? Because you know people are talking about it as DeFi. They talked about themselves as DeFi, but there was almost nothing decentralized about it. And so you know, we also really need to, to go back to what they both were saying about disclosure. That's probably the most important point, you know, kill switch, who's holding it, things like that, to have a lot of visibility into who you're relying on, if there's anybody, and a lot of the information around it is really important. Yeah. All right, so switching gears a little bit, I would love to talk about international cooperation and regulation. So, you know, I mean, 
it, the nature of decentralized finance is that it can be anywhere. So without international cooperation, regulation is sort of effectively meaningless. So, you know, what's happening on the international level to regulate DeFi? I know everybody kind of works okay, on that. Okay, I, maybe I should go first. <laughs> uh, actually, the, the, the Financial Stability Board, FSB, under G20, it's actually like working on this space, like crypto assets, stable coins, and decentralized finance. So, yeah, crypto assets, stable coin, we, we have very long history to discuss and publish some papers. On decentralized finance, it's very nascent area, so we are still understanding phase. But I think it's quite important, to, as you mentioned, like international cooperation or like even the global cooperation kind of thing. So international, so the, the DeFi and the blockchain is, is in nature global without no borders. But unfortunately, the regulation is international. Like, the, like we, we need to think about how we can deal with this kind of global space with the jurisdictional like uh, regulations. So, yeah, always at the FSB, the, the, one of the like, central like, topic is about cross-sectoral, cross-border cross cooperation. And uh, there are lots of difficulty to, like, uh, to harmonize the regulation because usually crypto regulation is deep, deeply rooted into like, existing regulation, like securities law or like, payment regulations. All of these regulations like different countries have slightly different regulations, regulatory regimes like USA and Europe, Japan have very different regimes. So how we can like harmonize these like space, regulation in these spaces is quite like tough topic and we need to like, uh, like uh, progress further to like find out a way at the FSB level or G20 level or maybe G7 level, yeah. I'll pass on this. One. Oh, okay. <laughs> that could go. Uh, I'm just letting it come down. Uh, I think there are a couple different things. Uh, yes, there are different regulatory standards in different jurisdictions, but I think given the nature of DeFi in itself, it's going to be hard to regulate it all differently if it's going to be done correctly. I think there has to be some harmonization. Fine, not everybody has to adopt the same regulation. I think as part of the efforts in working with policymakers and regula regulators to explain how the software works, it is incumbent upon us in the space, anybody who's engaged in policy work, to forward with um, good suggestions for regulation of DeFi, Web3, whatever it may be, including providing um, standards for decentralization, for disclosure, explaining at what point in time standard setting makes sense versus another point in time where it would turn, as I said, software developers into financial intermediaries. So I think we can at least have a principles-based approach as to what makes sense, which will hopefully harmonize and make it easy to work across, easy, that was the wrong word, but to make it sort of understandable to work across the globe. Yeah. So I mean, will there always be the Seychelles? Will there always be a place that you can go and be less regulated, or do you think that that we're kind of moving towards a, a, a regulation structure in which, you know, DeFi will be more organized, maybe. <laughs> I mean, perhaps, but, you know, we really here in the United States need to have the right structure in order for <laughs> consumers to have confidence, but I think more importantly, it's for institutions to come into this space, right? I mean, I, I think the push for changes around identity and other pieces of this ecosystem 
actually aren't being driven by government. It's, it's the big guys that want to get in and they're yeah. worried that if things aren't done correctly, uh, you know, they'll be on the hook. And so I think that that's actually the driving force right now and that, um, yes, there will always be pockets, but it's, you know, you still need to have the EU, you need to have Japan, you need to have the United States. Yeah, and I think if we create an incentives-based system, sure, you'll always have the Seychelles or some other place where you're not, but to Kristen's point, if we want to see this ecosystem flourish and grow, then, and we create incentive-based systems where if you register your DAO, you get tax breaks, whatever it may be, um, then I think those jurisdictions will have less influence or less people flocking there or less important, you know, big uh, influencing protocols that are built out of there and things like that. The interesting thing is that uh, the DeFi and the blockchain space, some, sometimes the, the very important countries is the, like the developing countries or like uh, less institutionalized countries. So, yeah, not just US and Japan or Europe, and, but also like non-FSB, non-G20 countries could be uh, like very important factors. But it's quite difficult to like, uh, like encourage them to like uh, in introduce regulation or inf uh, impose regulation because sometimes it's deeply like uh, interconnected with the national strategy. So, yeah, we, we need to think about how we can engage with these countries uh, in, in our discussion. It's also a very important topic, yes. Yeah. So, speaking of the FSB, I know we talked about this backstage, but, you know, the FSB was asked to develop, you know, a sort of new crypto rule book, and I know that they're supposed to have a report coming out in the next couple of months. Do you have any insight into whether DeFi might be included in that? And yeah. if so, what we can expect? Yeah, I think uh, we are discussing DeFi as well, but I think in the, on DeFi, I think it's still the learning stage for us. So I'm not sure DeFi is included in our like regulatory like proposal, but, but of course we cannot ignore DeFi. So if it's not included in our like report and published, probably we should continue like discussion and work together to focus on DeFi. And of course, the difficulty is that DeFi space is growing very rapidly. So if we aim at publishing something like next, next year, maybe the landscape is completely different. So, so every time we need to keep catch up, catch up, and maybe uh, something different happen in the, in the near future. And this could like, greatly affect our discussion. So it's quite difficult for us to like, anticipate when we can publish something on DeFi. But, uh, but on crypto assets in general, I think uh, in February we published like, a risk assessment paper, and in that uh, we slightly or, like, changed our views on the like, financial stability implications, and it's, it, it becomes clear that uh, the financial stability implication is increasing. So, we need to do something or we need to like maybe uh, it's quite difficult to the like, concrete regulation is difficult but uh, we should uh, somehow address like some differences or approaches globally or like provide some like high level considerations or this kind of thing is very important but i'm not sure the DeFi is included or not and look on the international front i think there is some regulatory arbitrage that is going on and will go on um the UK last month put out three different reports, all very coordinated, 
one from the Bank of England, one from Her Majesty's Treasury, and one from the FDA. And the way that they were written all flipped from how the EO was written. So the, those were all written. Look at all the benefits of DeFi. Here are all the good things from stablecoins. Yes, there are risks, and we'll address them, and they're going to engage with stakeholders. Um, and while there is a lot of engagement in the United States, and Kristen helps facilitate, and the Blockchain Association helped facilitate a lot of that, you know, there was at least the skepticism to start in the EO with uh, an afterwards on, um, you know, that there are benefits. And I think in the U.S., everybody is really getting on board that there are a lot of benefits here. Crypto is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Um, and then Europe is in the midst of trying to negotiate MECA, Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, which is their big piece of legislation that was supposed to address more like centralized crypto assets. Um, but there's a lot of consternation there because it was meant to be very wide ranging. People didn't want DeFi included. There was a back and forth on NFTs. And so I think we're going to see a lot of regulatory arbitrage of who can get out first, put out good guardrails, you know, and regulation, while also making sure that innovation can move ahead. Yeah. So I, when, yeah, we, I, I feel like uh, I sense that in the regulatory community, people talk all about risks, but it's quite difficult to talk about benefit because, yeah, as, as like the internet case, uh, it's quite difficult to anticipate the benefit side, but risk side is very obvious. <laughs> so it's quite easy to focus on risk side only, but uh, so it's quite important to like show some like benefit side more clearly from it, it could help us to like understand what uh, is the future for the DeFi or crypto asset. Yeah, all right. So, you know, I, I think this is such a fast moving and, and nascent space. You know, if you guys had a crystal ball, what, do you, what are you looking for? What, what do you think is coming down, you know, the pike that you guys are paying close attention to? You know, <clears throat> for us, we look at a couple different things. Um, one is the policy around illicit finance. I think the way that the system has been set up today in the United States, and credit to the Treasury Department um, and FinCEN and OFAC for being early leaders in that space, uh, is actually working really, really well. Um, I, I testified before the House Homeland Security Committee yesterday, and they're so eager to want to do something. and. You know, the reality is, the, the answer is get more resources and more training for law enforcement to use the amazing tools that are available today. And, you know, even if we look at the issue of self-custody wallets, which are an important part of the DeFi world, it actually makes the problem worse if you put burdensome requirements on that because then those who are operating in the central, centralized world, which is about 90% of consumers today operate and use, go through a centralized intermediary for their crypto transactions, you know, the reason we're able to be successful in tracking down illicit actors is because of the connection of, of those two worlds. And so we're always keeping an eye out to make sure that until there's a better option going forward, maybe with new identity technology, that we preserve that model because it's really working and we need to put more resources into that. Um, we're also looking at what might be coming down and impact the act of decentralized exchange and, and those front ends that allow for access to that. Uh, that is something we're looking at very closely. We're, we're also very eager to see the rulemaking 
that we're anticipating sometime this summer from the Internal Revenue Service and Treasury related to the infrastructure bill last summer. Uh, that had a very broad definition of broker, and we wouldn't want DeFi software developers to have to take on the responsibilities of a broker, which includes getting names and social security numbers and addresses and sending 1099s to your customers at the end of the year. That just doesn't make sense. Uh, so we're, we're watching all of that very closely. The, um, I guess the last one, which is sort of related to the second point, is there is a rulemaking right now at the SEC related to alternative trading systems and expanding the type of entities that need to register as an ATS. So we're, we're watching that one very closely as well. How do you register if you're truly decentralized? Exactly. Great question. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Gary Gensler keeps saying come in and register, but the code can't just walk in. So I always say that. <laughs> How can I use the software code to it? Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the types of things that is looking to make um, software developers into financial intermediaries, which we just don't want. Yeah, so from the regulatory perspective, it, we look into the, the traditional finance involved in this aspect, aspect space, quite important uh, topic, because yeah, in, in some cases, big banks may issue stable coins or like, get involved in DeFi space, that could increase the interconnection risks. So, so it, I think it's tipping point right now. So some, some of the banks decide to like, actively involved in this space, and some of the banks is very like, reluctant to do so. So what will happen is very important uh, uh, like factor to decide, define the financial stability risks. So, the, so this is very important aspect. And also, like, as you mentioned, like, uh, when they completely decentralized, how we can like, regulate things is also a big question right now. So fortunately or unfortunately, right now, it's like a centralized like, aspect in most of the DeFi system. But uh, if there is no like, such kind of system, maybe we can like, think about how we can like, deal with these issues, and also, if if the like, program will facilitate like, transaction with machine-to-machine -machine kind of thing, so it will dramatically increase the number of transactions to monitor. So all of these kind of new like, type of uh, uh, risks and type of uh, new like, developments will make it even more difficult for us to like, deal with all the risks. But uh, as I first mentioned, like, the regulatory goals or the I, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say regulatory, but the goals is very simple, like maintaining financial stability or protecting customers or preventing financial crimes, I think. So maybe it could, could, it could be like using a different mechanism, like using technology or using computer code-based regulation. I, I, I shouldn't say like fancy word code as law, but I think we need to think about how we can, like, me, like some type of regulatory technology or some kind of supervisory technologies could be like help us to like uh, still addressing risks and achieving a goal even in the decentralized world. Yeah, I mean just to set the stage in terms of this crystal ball, I think what we're seeing now is a lot of focus on regulation of centralized crypto act actors. 
So the Lamas Gillibrand bill that came out last week is very focused on how centralized actors work for the most part, and then talks about a study on DeFi in Section 805. Uh, Mika is the, basically crafted the same way. If all goes well, DeFi will be excluded. That's how it is as at this moment. Uh, and then the, and then DG FISMA, which is one of the arms of the European Commission, will also do a study on DeFi. And the study on DeFi is, and stablecoins, et cetera, is going on in the UK. So if everybody's doing that, there will be these studies, and then there will be some proposed regulation. We'll probably see things, I think, in the interim to DeFi where people are making attempts, um, putting things out there. Uh, I think it'll be hard to see anything really stick um, until that there's a real understanding. And to Kristen's very early point on the R&D phase, um, we will see a greater proliferation of crypto-native compliance tools, monitoring tools, things that will make um, the regulatory goals that you're talking about, financial stability, tracking yeah. illicit actors, consumer protection, all of those things, even more possible because we are still in this need. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very like hopeful, and also maybe we need to like talk together. To the goal is maybe I, I think we need to establish some common goal, and then discuss how whether like from regulatory regulators' perspective, the we have only one to the regulation and <laughs> supervision. So we have only this two. So if if regulator alone think about the goals, we have no other options to apply regulation, even regardless if it's effective or not. But if we like uh, deepen the dialogue and maybe the technology side could provide some solution to us, it, it would be very helpful for us. Maybe we don't need to regulate them or like just like depend on these new mechanisms. So. So I, I think we need to be more open to like new ideas and new solutions. Do you want to move to the United States? I know I was just going <laughs> to. Like, I feel like we should just end there. That was that was a very good ending point. It was. I mean, no argument for me unless we have like a burning question from the audience. Oh. Nobody. All right. Well, you two, you, you ended it on a great note then. Yeah. <laughs> Wag me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, th I know that it's quite difficult for us regulators because the financial space, financial industry is somehow very easy as compared to the internet or cyberspace because when we write regulation, usually the banks and other intermediaries will follow us. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's uh, I, I shouldn't say easy, but it's simple. But from now on, it's more like complicated. So, so different type of people comes into finance and different type of like technologies comes in, so it becomes more complicated. So that, that's a, that is a like, central difficulty for us, but uh, I'm hopeful because, uh, as I mentioned, like we started a dialogue and understand each other. So yeah, I hope to find some solution. Are you going to hire more staff? I feel like you're like, it's going to get harder, it's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, People have exp expertise, it's very expensive to hire, and also <laughs> it's so scarce. So, and yeah, we hope to find more people and, and uh, more like building capacity. I think this is a common like, uh, difficulty for among all the regulators, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, well, thank you guys so much. Thank you guys thank for, you. for listening. Yeah. Hey, hey.